with Adam Collins and welcome to the second cut from the greatest season that was 1999 World Cup Series. To recap, if you didn't listen last Monday, this was a 12-part project made mostly during the 2019 World Cup. Looking back 20 years at a tournament we thought deserved a full retrospective. On the assumption Final Word listeners would have a keen interest in the topic, 99, which was made with great mates of the pod, Dan Bredig from The Age and Shannon Gill from Code Sports, is now being released on our feed. The first time around, the episode you're about to hear, the oral history of the 1999 semi-final tie between Australia and South Africa, was our series finale. It took us months to pull together with the guidance of our EPJ Mueller, with some brilliant guests from both teams who took the field that fateful day at Edgbaston. But given now we're at the semi-final stage again in 2023, with the Aussies and the Proteas drawn to play once more, it all made sense to pop this out now ahead of that game. So enjoy the next hour or so, the detailed story of perhaps the most significant one-day international ever played. towards the back of the national sporting consciousness could be grave indeed. Very sad. This, to do an interview as we are now, this is hurting like stink. I promise you. You almost make a case for the fact that he probably caught that. Very nice. I'm Dan Bredig. I'm Shannon Gill. And I'm Adam Collins, and this is The Greatest Season That Was, presenting the oral history of the 1999 World Cup semi-final between Australia and South Africa. At the end of our 99 World Cup series last year, we promised a season finale that would revisit this epic with a series of voices from those who were there that day. And here it is. After a lot of work behind the scenes, we're proud to bring you this special episode about the game that truly had it all. In addition to the radio and television commentary, you will hear from interviews we've conducted with Tom Moody, Australia's veteran all-rounder. South Africa were a, a, a team that was ripe for picking. Tim Lane commentating the finish for Test Match Special. The underarm down the pitch, mm. of course, is etched into Australian cricketing football. Adam Gilchrist, Australian master blaster wicketkeeper. That delivery is on par with ball century getting ball. I've got no doubt about that. Simon Mann, who called the finish for BBC TV. I remember thinking with about an hour to go, what happens if this game is a tie? Steve Elworthy, South Africa's opening bowler. Lance was just in the most incredible form that I had ever experienced. Lance Klusner, the mighty South African all-rounder. There's a lot of thoughts that go through just in those two seconds when the ball is, 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 is on its way. And Damien Fleming, the man who sent down the unforgettable 50th over. Running in for the first ball, you know, it was nuts. The crowd are going off. So, with no further ado, this is the oral history of the 99 semi-final. 
But before moving to that fateful day at Edgbaston, we first head to Leeds for the thrilling Super 6 game that preceded it. Headingly, for Australia, often a ground of despair, but today they had to bury their ghosts and claim the last place in the World Cup semis. South Africa were a, a really tough opponent in that form of the game. They still were looking for their first World Cup, still are, and um, they were the team to beat. A spectacular win for the South Africans in this World Cup match. South Africa won the game comfortably by 74 runs, and it's been a very good performance by Hansi Kronje and his team. Takes them now to six points in the group and they have qualified for the semi-finals. Going into that tournament, that, they were rated number one and, and they were incredibly well drilled and skilled. Out, brilliant, Jonty Rhodes, Lance Klusner strikes and that just epitomises what Ian Botham has just said. Well, it is quite spectacular, isn't it? Alan Donald, that's his fourth wicket and Fairbrother goes. Yes, I think Alan Donald's got to be right up there for the award. Yet again, it was Jack Callis who steered his side back from the brink in the growing gloom. And with Lance Klusner at the other end, tempers began to fray in what proved an explosive finish. Even when Callis went, Klusner just kept on punishing the stunned Pakistani attack. And Mark Boucher joined in the fun. The end was pure farce as Saeed's drop catch brought South Africa a remarkable victory. But we felt like we just had a little bit of an edge over them. 15 off 12, it's going to be Shane Warne. Oh, he's gone, run out, surely. That's out, disappointing end. And McMillan slow and a great victory for Australia, but a wonderful fight back by South Africa. And that was a disappointing end. Adams had the right idea, he was straight to the fellow. Millen Slayer, look at the Australians. A wonderful finals victory. South Africa were a, a, a team that was ripe for picking. It was do or die for Australia in Leeds, win and they were in the semis. But if Klusner did it again for South Africa, it was pick up your tickets for the airport on the way out. So it's South Africa to bat first, our coverage starts with the first ball Glenn McGrath is going to bowl to Gary Kirsten, and in the commentary box, Mike Proctor and Ian Chappell. And the most important of those reasons is it takes Herschel Gibbs onto his second limited overs international hundred. Very well played indeed. His hundred at Henningley was, was absolutely amazing. It was doing a bit, and he decided to take him on. Nicely struck. All the way over the boundary at long off for six. Just a short-arm jab, but immensely powerful. Kuzner goes thump, and it goes for four. What a shot. That's not really a shot, that's a bludgeon. Lance was just in the most incredible form that I had ever experienced. I, mean, I think about some of the previous games where he was hitting Shoaib Akhtar uh, at full pace over the over um, the Radcliffe stand in, at Trent Bridge, you know, in the in the game against Pakistan. See, his form was just unbelievable. That's it. Two seventy two is the target for Australia. So South Africa seven for two hundred and seventy one after fifty overs bowled. We saw South Africa set Australia a target of 272 to win, thanks largely to that superb century from Herschel Gibbs. What we can do now is pick up their reply. In the second over, Steve Elworthy is bowling to Adam Gilchrist. 
Well, they needed an early wicket, and uh, an early wicket will cause problems for the Australians, and they've got it. Gilchrist comprehensively bowled out. Steve Waugh comes to the crease at 3 for 48. I know exactly where I was because I was sitting next to Shane Warne and Paul Rifle, and even though there was wick heaps of wickets to go, I, I reckon all three of us were padded up. That's how nervous we were. Stephen Moore goes for it. Doesn't quite time it, but it goes all the way. Well, that's what we need, isn't it? A few more hits like that. Just got bogged down a little bit, I fancy, in the last ten overs. And when Steve started to get runs... 50 for Stephen Moore of 47 balls. It's very, very well played. He's looked very determined from the minute he walked to the crease. All the other boys were on the balcony and the three Victorians were inside just looking through the glass. And he must know that uh, if he gets out now, someone else has got to take over that role, get themselves in. Well, I was bowling. That's out. Oh, he's got, got, oh, that. got, he got to believe it. That's unbelievable. He was throwing it up. He thought he had it. It was a little lollipop. And the man who did so well with the bat has taken his eye off the ball and the ball has just dribbled out of his fingers. He was about to throw it up. Well, this could change the course of this match, that's for sure. You know, when the ball just chipped into mid-wicket, you sort of mm. see it on its way to, you know, one of the best fieldsmen South Africa has ever seen and you, you're sort of just ticking that off already, you know. It seems to go into his hands and fall out of them. And Klusen is just asking... Now, didn't he hold on to it long enough? No. Well, that's Steve War. Frankly, he didn't. The two of them are in the crease talking to each other. It was one of those things, I guess, needed to be looked at and studied. There's no way Steve War should still be there. The night before, when we were talking about the individual South African players, uh, at the end of the meeting, Shane Warne said, I just want to say something. I don't think Jonty Rhodes or Herschel Gibbs control the ball when they catch it. They throw it up too quickly and I reckon we should stand our ground. Now, Steve Waugh said, um, not a team plan, but if an individual batsman wants to actually question whether they control the ball, you know, go right ahead. Now, it didn't quite work out that way, but how perspective um, from or visionary from Warren to be able to pick up something like that? You know, there were aspects, I'm not meaning to suggest anything, but, um, you know, there were aspects of, South Africa uh, at that time with Hansi Cronier as captain, which viewed in hindsight, um, you could believe anything. He plays it away on the onside now. Has he got it? And he's about to throw it up, and that's it. You could almost make a case for the fact that he probably caught that. Great knots. Not. It was just such a poor piece of fielding. It, it, it was a straightforward catch. It should have been taken. If it had been taken, Australia were, I think, effectively out of the World Cup. Steve Waugh, he's on fire. He really is. Well, that's it. That's a magnificent century. A century played when the pressure was really on. It was a, an innings the like of which he'd never really had to play in, uh, in this form of the game. And in those circumstances where there was no tomorrow, if, uh, if he couldn't pull it off and the team couldn't pull it off, well, and, and he, was, he was stuffed because I think he had um, indicated, or Trevor Holmes might have indicated as chairman of selectors, that um, it was highly unlikely that War would continue as the ODI captain if the team didn't make the semi-finals. And this was all about making the semi-finals. It was 
semi-finals or bust. He'll come back for a second. And Steve Waugh completes only his second century in more than 270 limited over internationals. He has chosen precisely the moment for a masterpiece of an innings. The best one day knock that I was a part of. An incredible hundred. What is incredible it? pressure. It's amazing, isn't it? In comes Pollock, second ball of the last over. Moody drives at him in the air, but safely behind point. It might go to the boundary. It split the fieldsman. It is four. I originally wasn't in the 30-man squad, which needs to be announced to the ICC, and I remember Steve Waugh going into bat for me. Australia, one run away from qualifying and two runs from a remarkable victory. Amazing, this is absolutely amazing. Steve also indicated before that meeting to me personally, just sort of said, you know, you know, I want you to be, you know, my, uh, you know, right-hand man, lieutenant, whatever you want to call it, um, just to, you know, be, be there to advise or if you've got any thoughts or feedback, please, you know, be a part of it. And I think that was, that trust was developed over a long friendship and a long relationship and respect for each other because he felt that uh, with my... Uh, experience in England um, and I suppose seniority as a as a mature age player I'd be a valuable addition to that squad for the England uh, 99 World Cup one to win three balls to go and that's it Australia have won a vital match which has ensured that they will go through to the semi-finals and what's more they'll play South Africa again Steve Waugh has played a magnificent innings and have a look at the celebration. Steve Waugh just played what I've always regarded as the, the best innings I ever saw him play. Very difficult to make comparisons between Test and uh, an ODI or 2020 innings. But, um, you know, this was a real tightrope walking act in a way that Test cricket wasn't. And, and so it was less familiar to him because he... He had to survive. Well, he was good at that. We knew that. But he also had to keep the runs coming. And he managed to do both. And um, it was, you know, it was a, a survival act um, that was also productive. It was a masterpiece. That game against South Africa at Headingley was probably the best game I've ever been involved in um, one day game I've ever been involved in because it, 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 the, the cost of what it meant to to the side, not obviously you know qualifying uh, to be uh, to have a chance to play in the finals. I thought we bowled pretty poorly, you know, defending a big score in 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 in, in those days. So mm. um, you know, and if you bowl pretty poorly and um, you know, you you have a, a Steve Wall who's who's having a good day. Um, yeah, that just that's a recipe for disaster. It will be Australia and South Africa again in the second semi-final. Pakistan will meet New Zealand in the first. To look at the scenes on the Australian's balcony. In the lead-up, Steve Waugh sought to heighten any psychological advantage that Australia had gained by making frequent references to the Gibbs dropped catch. We, we went to that game uh, full of confidence uh, that we, we had the, I suppose, psychological advantage against them um, and we had that sort of inner belief uh, that... Uh, 
that we're ready and, you know, we're ready to take down South Africa, you know, again. It was another tick for our confidence that, that we'd just get over them in the big games. And I'm not sure from a South African perspective whether that was um, another example of them not getting over from us again. So I think we definitely had more momentum going into that semi-final and, and the belief if it was a tight game, we were going to win. That was extremely dangerous. I mean, as good a team as Australia was in, in those days and now they're publicly you know, putting it out there and, you know, it was, it was warning signs for us. It wasn't something we couldn't deal with, but it was um, something, I guess, that, um, you know, the, these guys are, you know, they've got, they have nothing to lose. And, and I suppose at the end of the day, we, we had a little bit more to lose than, than they did. Initially, I think there was disappointment that we hadn't, we hadn't won the game up at Headingley because I think we knew that if we had have won that, Australia were on their way home and we were, I think we were going to be facing Zimbabwe in the semi-final. We were growing um, by the day with confidence and, and, uh, and momentum was you know, in our favour. The stage had been set. There was tremendous expectation after what had happened just those few days earlier and of course Lords in the final was on the end of it so it was just a, a wonderful feeling of of build up and, and um, of expectancy about what might happen and of course we couldn't have imagined and didn't dare to imagine that there could be a repeat of what had happened in Leeds that was almost too good to be true and um, things like that don't happen twice do they? strike the first blow, Mark Wall, he's gone, in the air, got him, first ball, he's got him, he's hit that one straight to extra cover, Kirsten takes the catch and that's a big blow, Ponting, that's better, got him, out caught behind, two wickets in the over, magnificently bowled that one, that's a much better line, Lehman out caught behind and now the Australians are in a very similar situation to the one that they were in up at Leeds. In the air, third man's under it. He's got him straight down his throat. That's a big wicket. Donald takes the catch. Gilchrist departs. Callis gets a wicket. Gilchrist out for 20 and South Africa on top at four for 68. Had a little bit of the 1996 semi-final about it, didn't it? Where the West Indies had us four for 20. And it was Stuart Law and Michael Bevan that got us, and then Ian Healy at the end, got us to a competitive total. Cuts, cuts well, that's four. Beautifully played. Beats. Backward points. Good start for Bevan. Alan Doddle got through our middle order and late order, but um, Steve Waugh obviously backed up that great hundred, and then and then Michael Bevan um, just proved what again what a great player he was and and how cool he was under pressure. And that's a bigger hit. That's nearer the middle of the bat, and that's Citrons. Steve Waugh. Brave cricket, isn't it? It's 126 for four. You just couldn't keep him down. Great shot. Beautifully placed. That's another 50 for Steve Waugh. The critical point to me is that you never, and I think this is this was a personal view, and I, I, I'm, I'm absolutely sure from a team point of view, you never ever thought that you had won over Australia. Never. Um, and And, you know, 
common belief or common conversations about if you had to pick a side and you had to pick people who were going to bat for you for your life, who would they be? Nice way to get there too. We've all had those conversations. And number one on your list is Steve Waugh. You know, he, if, you, if you wanted somebody to bat for you, for you, he would be the first man on the list. That's got him. The edge goes through to Mark Boucher. The partnership is broken. And uh, Steve Waugh is the man out. I still have massive regrets about my dismissal because, you know, I, I just played a shocking shot. That's Alex. Got him. Tom Moody is gone. I played like a crab and uh, ended up walking off like one. Could be out. And that's well caught. Change of pace. Very, very good catch. And four wickets for Pollock. Paul Rifle got knocked over first ball. Got him. Well bowled. The perfect Yorker. Superb. Owen Donald uh, bowled a big reverse swing in swinger. He did mention that as I was walking past him onto the ground, and uh, and I did sort of mention I did see it on the TV, mate. So I was determined not to get bowled by the in swinger. Well, it's become the Donald Pollock show. This one, the two of them uh, hitting the stumps on a regular basis, getting rid of uh, the Australians, and uh, oh, lovely delivery, the top of off stump, and uh, back it goes. Twice he's uh, managed to knock those stumps over. But Alan Donald knocked me over with the outswinger. Second ball duck. It's out. Yes, it's well bowled. Five for Porrick. South Africa has bowled out the Australians in the final over for 213. A wonderful bowling performance by Donald and Sean Porrick. Yes, well, the South Africans that have come a long way to watch uh, their side in the semi-final will be very happy at the moment. You, you sort of get back into the dressing room and think, well, you know, maybe today's the day when, you know, your, your, your batters put up their hands and, and, and get the job done. And, you know, you can shake hands and there's four wickets down and the you know, boys have done their job and someone's got a decent nod out. Um, you sort of, that sort of goes through your mind because we hadn't done it the whole the whole tournament. So you think surely, you know, at some stage we, we're going to get that right. If we didn't get early wickets, we, we were gone. And it didn't happen. You know, Kirsten and Gibbs got off to a bit of a flyer. And... Well, lovely timing from Herschel Gibbs. That is such a good shot. When Kirsten and Gibbs got away to the start that they did... I mean, it looked to be almost all over by the shouting. But I'm absolutely positive nobody said a word. <laughs> nobody said anything about it because everybody was just, we were, you know, and that was the point. You're thinking it inside, but I don't think anybody really wanted to say it. Um, we had got off to a great, as you say, Herschel was just, he looked sublime. He's, you know, and he, he does. When he, when he hits the ball, when he, he doesn't actually even hit it, when he just times it, it is just poetry. Um, and he looked incredible at the crease. And I think it was like your eyes were wide open thinking wow this is you know but I don't I don't think it was there wasn't a murmur of it around the change room but I think everybody was thinking it fine shots again Herschel Gibbs plays these shots good back foot movement nice straight bats and good timing oh just had the legs to beat Michael Bevan to the boundary the thing I remember about that was Gibbs, of course, had dropped the World Cup, in inverted commas, at Headingley, and he seemed determined to make up for that. And he came out and he unfurled half a dozen glorious boundaries. You know, Gibbs could play like that. He was a class player and he timed the ball so sweetly. And South Africa got off to this wonderful start. They were bounding along and you just thought, they've got this. 
Australia haven't got enough runs and South Africa are going to win this game comfortably. And then into Warn. And that's when the ball gets thrown to, to, to Warney. And, you know, Warney had a, you know, a tough, you know, World Cup to start. I think he was still hurting from the West Indies dropping from the Test match. He bowled beautifully in the one, in the one day is over in the West Indies, but really didn't get going. A bit like Glenn McGrath till later in the tournament. It took me a while to get in the tournament. I wasn't actually doing that well, and the team wasn't doing that well. I was vice captain. As the games got more and more important, Warney looked like he was getting into a nice groove, and the, the natural drifts and variations and, and revs on the ball were, were coming to the fore more and more often. So it, it, did, it did feel like on reflection now that he, certainly from mid-tournament tournament onwards, he, he was really clicking into um, top groove. To me, he he showed his true colours, I felt, that, that game in... in he was desperate for the ball and, you know, Tugger, come on, mate, give me the ball, give me the ball, you know. And he was, it was nearly like he had already written the story um, and he just wanted to, he just, as you say, he wanted his voice and he wanted to bellow it as loud as possible. Oh, beautiful ball. That's a wonderful delivery from Shane Warne. Clipping the top of off stump. That's absolutely exactly what the Australians needed. Herschel Gibbs, completely bemused by it. He can't believe it's happened to him. It was only one wicket and uh, there was still a long way to go, but it was a taste of Warren and his genius. And um, and he was, he was getting his mojo back. It pitches outside leg stump. Hits the top of, top of off. We thought this wicket might turn. That delivery is on par with ball century Gatting ball. Um, I, I've got no doubt about that. I wasn't standing behind the stumps for the Gatting ball, obviously, but I reckon you know that the '93 Gatting ball might have dipped and, and and swerved maybe an extra six inches, but it certainly wasn't that dissimilar. But the one to get. Gibbs out. It's almost underrated, the deliveries. Everyone talks about the gadding ball, but he bowled a couple of them to get rid of Kirsten and, and Gibbs. He, like any champion, um, just needs the platform. And and I think the World Cup was that platform. And the more he got into it, the more, you know, he wanted to be at the front of the stage. Then you started to come along with him, you know, massive celebrations. You've got somebody in, the, in your team bowling that way and egging everybody on and something a little bit like what Alan Donald would would do for us, you know, and when they're on song on a specific day, um, it drags everybody along. Prior to the match at Leeds against South Africa, uh, I remember Steve War going into bat for him at a press conference about form and just about where he was at because he really, I think, had been doing it hard and um, he was down, I think, which wasn't familiar territory for him. But now he bounced back and, um, you know, suddenly he was that kind of um, football captain on the ground, um, really, you know, giving off energy to his teammates. Quick wickets for Australia, both to this man, Shane Warne. 
That is not a moment that Gary Kirsten will want to relive. Once he got the ball, he just was totally locked in on in the zone. Uh, even when he took wickets, it was hard to you know it was hard to communicate with because he was so focused and so locked in. He was like a prize fighter that never took his eye off. Uh, until there was a final knockout. Bit of a poor shot, to say the least, Gary Kirsten. There really no need for that. He knows the ball's turning. Three wickets in a couple of overs. One of them, Cronier, lucky to get. And, you know, the value or the importance of that only grew in hindsight. Uh, caught off his foot. He only needed to score one run. And uh, it could have been a different story. Here's Warren again. Bowls to Cronier. Slip and a short cover. He's out! slip he's out Cronier standing his ground standing for a long time but umpire Shepherd has sent him on his way and Warren has turned this semi-final South Africa 53 for three in the 15th over from behind it just looked sounded just looked like a regulation you know big big edge to first slip I reckon in our team huddle so maybe from front on there was some uncertainty uh, I don't think anyone could have known for sure. And in the yeah, and the hysteria and the adrenaline, no one's not going to appeal for something like that in a World Cup semi. Mm. I don't care. You know, if anyone who's played cricket knows that they're going up for that. But I reckon you see Warney take a few deep breaths and then he sort of says to all of us, is that out? But, yeah, no one really sat back and gave a steward's inquiry of sort of it had been given out and we were just moving on to the next one. I'm Glenn Maxwell. Make sure you listen to my favourite podcast, The Final Word. Warren not only got the wickets, you know, they were huge spinning de- deliveries um, to a right-hander, to a left-hander, and, and by the time we got Cronier three wickets down, um, so they lost three for five. A couple of wickets down, um, yeah, you start, those doubts start, or that pressure is reversed, and you start thinking, gee, well, somebody's got to play well to get us over the line here. In the change room, you could feel... The, the tension changed because the ebb of the game had suddenly swung completely into into Australia's favour, and he he still had a few overs to go. You know, he was he was still right in the middle of his spell, um, and he looked like he was right in the game, and he was up for it, which is which is what you expect from him. Whoops! There's a chance. Berman hasn't got a strong arm. Probably the biggest surprise of the tournament. Bevo actually hit the stumps. <laughs> Out. So we were as shocked as anyone. Daryl Cullinan was shocked, but we were more shocked. Wow, that was poor cricket. Rifle and Moody come into the team, you know, around halfway, and their, and their experience, um, their competitiveness, you know, was worth its weight in gold, wasn't it? And, that, and they're another two type of bowler that, that, that would bowl really well in partnerships, really hard to score off. So, you know, at the end of that spell from, from Warren... Um, you know, certainly Callis and, and, and Rhodes, you know, had, had a big job to do, but um, the changing and bowling d- didn't actually r- release any pressure. Um, you know, you know, McGrath, Rifle um, and Moods, you know, obviously kept it pretty tight. Good shot into the gap at cover. And that'll go all the way to the boundary. Well, that'll relieve the pressure a little bit. They've been searching for this boundary for a while. 
with the likes of Krizner and Callas and Rhodes and people who were still coming in down the order, we had enough firepower to get to 213 because, as I said, 270 a couple of days before we knew. Um, but it, it, yeah, it was. It you, you could feel the, you could feel the sense in the change room. You could feel a change. Yes, that one's cut away and it's got past him. That's another four. A desperate lunge down there once again by Fleming, but uh, he wasn't quite able to get there. That was well played, actually. It went flying off the bat. Oh, that's a big one. That'll go all the way, will it? I think it'll make it. Yes, just. That's a six. Full toss. I think, you know, with Jonty, I think he was trying to seize the moment as well. You know, he wasn't as, you know, slow as, as um, Callis. But I think he started, you know, feel like, we, you know, we need to start finding the boundaries there. Oh, he's hit that one. This could be out. There's a man underneath it. Yes, he's got him. Bevan's there. He doesn't drop him. That's a vital wicket. Bevan is coming off the boundary and he was coasting, I can tell you. He's so fast. He would have caught that 20 metres further in. The Australians have struck and now will the pressure really build? Yeah, great catch. Um, the one thing that Bevo did really well was obviously he had... Um, incredible pace to the ball, you know, whether it was on the ground or, or, or in the air. There's something had to give at 7.1 and over. What had to give was John T. Rolls, 43. You know, everyone's heard the TMS team um, talking about chocolate cakes and red wine, and the red wine is largely a, um, a you know, a legacy of the Arlott era um, when he drank most of it. But uh, it wasn't unusual, I found, for the cork to be pulled out of a nice French red during the box at some stage, particularly late in the piece, uh, towards the end of a day or the end of a, a match. And uh, that day, Shilpa Patel, um, a very vivacious assistant to Peter Baxter, had uh, opened a red fairly late in the piece and she, um, she was about to pour me a glass and I said, just hold off, Shilpa, I just think I'd better wait until this one's done. And... Um, and it was a sixth sense because, um, you know, I do like a, a glass of wine and this game looked to be pretty well over at that stage. And I was ever so thankful for a rare moment of temperance and good judgment um, later on. And Callas uh, has registered his half century. That's very well played. This has been a very, very good innings by him. Very solid. We're a little bit surprised that Polly come in ahead of Klusner. But, you know, Polly was, you know, a different type of hitter to Klusner. Oh, he's had another go. That's going high. That's going all the way. All the way, is it? Yes, it's a six. All the way for six. Sean Pollock, who has taken five wickets already in this match, has wound up and hit Warren way over the top of long line for six. He was a real up, up, stand upright um, could hit fast bowlers back over their head. He could slog sweep the spinners. So we knew that, you know, that, that still had a lot of dangerous hitting to come. they got to go. they got to keep going. 44 off 34. Oh, good shot. He's hit that into the gap. Will this get to the boundary? Yes, it will. Well, Sean Pollock's come to the party just when it mattered most. But did ebb and flow. Australia had moments of getting back into it and then there'd always be that partnership that seemed to put it back in South Africa's hands again. Uh, but, of course, these were just the preliminaries because we were, we were building to a final act that, you know, no-one would have dared 
imagine could happen. As we spoke about, no more wickets to warn. That gap's closing up now. And I think it was down to the last ball or the second last ball of his spell when Callis got out to him, chipped it up to 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 mid wicket, and I think everybody the just the just the, the the disbelief and the of being that close to seeing seeing him out of his ten over spell and having both of those two individuals at the crease. Um, was going to be for us that was going to be the game changer it was going to be the the two that were going to then see us through just when you think this game is changing and moving in the direction of one side it moves back in the direction of the other Warren you know an incredible competitor um, you know the most amazing player that I've played with over the wicket comes swimming Bowling that's the one they needed the Yorker gets through Pike wow it's all happening by the time you know, I knock over Pollock, then um, you know, McGrath, Pidgey knocks over Boucher, and the shot from Boucher, you know, getting himself room and getting knocked over, it was like, oh, here we go, it's going to be a bit of procession here. It just felt like we were, you wanted to be ahead of the game, and that's the point, is you, you felt as though we were slipping back again, because if you succumb to the pressure in those points, the pressure builds up on one of your key players, and you're talking about Mark then. Suddenly that pressure is not only on Mark, it's now on Lance as well, because he's now, the pressure's on him to relieve some of that pressure because it felt like we were being sucked back. Last final over, the 49th, charging it up the hill. Bowling! Knocked him over, middle stump. A dot ball on the wicket, it's eight for 196. What a match, what a delivery. But you talk about the ebb and the flow. We were out, we were in it, we were out of it because of his three-way, and then we were back in it again. And then on the last ball, it felt like we were slipping again. It was, it was just that continual roller coaster of emotions through all of it. It was a seesaw. We we had control. They took control. We, we then, you know, we then wrestled it back, and it looked like it was never going to, you know, you know, be taken back off us. But obviously, there was there was one man, and and the, and the most dangerous hitter in the world was still there. It's gone for it. And it's gone. It's gone. Oh, dear. Four. Beautifully struck. I don't know about oh, dear. I think that's a fantastic shot, Bill. The, the preparation amongst us lower order batters was, was sort of, oh, well, here we go again. You know, come on, fellas, let's see what we can do. The thing about Klusner, I mean, he, he, he looks as if he was batting with a, a tree trunk in his hand. I mean, how on earth can you wield this club of wood how on earth can you control it but you know who who was going to bat with him for me the the whole experience went completely silent i i didn't hear and i didn't hear a thing the crowd the noise whatever you i walked out there and it felt like i was completely on my own and i was completely in the zone um and i knew that all i had to do was my job was to get Klusner on strike that was it um he was the one who was going to take us home he was the one who was going to strike the ball um and he was the one who was going to he was the one who was going to do it for us so there was nothing else in my mind apart from the fact that i needed to get i needed to see out it i, I think i was uh, one or two balls that i still had and and then the next point was when i'd actually maybe then how do I get Klusner on strike after that? And it was all about making sure contact and being able to get down the other end to get him on strike. Um, and it was, it's quite a weird feeling, actually, because you walk out in this, it felt like complete silence. But 
absolute mayhem going on around you with the crowd and what have you. It was just a, it was an incredible experience. Bruzner looks very cool. Give himself some room, will and trying to hit over cover. It's a full toss, it's a straight. They've got to go for two, surely. Ellsworth has got to come back. He has to come back. He's coming back. This will be very good. Oh, that's out. That is out. I'm sure he hasn't made it, has he? Wow, I think he hasn't. I think he's called for the third umpire where they actually put the ball on the stumps, McGrath. We were standing in the middle and it was it was all about, no, you're fine, you're fine, because he's broken the bail, he's broken the stumps with his knee, he's broken the stump with his knee, you know, type of thing. It was because um, he was running, obviously, the other direction and I was running to try and to try and dive so you you've sort of in your peripheral vision you you see things happening in the in the corner of your eye um but then when you get up and you come back together again i suppose it's just that it's that self-belief or that self it's that positive talk no you're fine you're fine you're fine it's cool you're you're in it he must have broken with his knee because they're, they're taking so long they're taking so long they're taking so long so they can't give you out they can't it was that sort of conversation any doubt must go with the batsman and he's gone Nine for 197, Kuzner still on strike. What a finish. Eight deliveries left, 16 to win. The next thing you go, bang, out, you're done. You know, and you, you, it, it's just that, I suppose that my, your, world, your World Cup, it, it's over. Your, your batting's done, you're finished. You, you, you've got no further part to play in that game and you've got to get off the pitch. So you, you, you replay those things in your mind all the time um, and you blame yourself, and I do, you sort of blame yourself a bit for it. But, you know, the thing about cricket is the umpire makes a decision and regardless of how good or bad it is, as hard it is to swallow... I've always been of the opinion that you've got to respect that decision, and I, you know, I, 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 still, I still don't think I was out, and I'm, I've always been. But you know, the umpire made a call at the time, and that's it. And then um, Alan Donald comes out to bat. Um, I can't remember exactly how many runs w- w- were needed, but uh, there was a feeling that if we could get Alan Donald on strike, you know, we're going through to the World Cup final. I do remember looking at his face because I was, you know, often when, when bad at win, not often, all the time when batters pass, you know, there's sort of like a nod of acknowledgement or whatever. You like look at each other and it's that, it's sort of like that thing about, yeah, yeah good luck or, and he said, or bad luck with the run out or whatever, you know, and there's like, like a, a look, you pass it. And it, there was just nothing. He was just like staring straight out at the wickets and that was it. You could just see his eyes on the wickets and I thought, he, He's probably feeling like I was about a couple of balls ago in that zone where it's just absolute silence. Eight deliveries left, 16 to win. McGraw to Kluzner. No one had safer hands than, than Paul Rifle. Full pitch, down the rifle, he should catch this, should he? Oh, he drops it and it probably goes for four or six. And I remember watching the ball and there was a bit of envy. You know, like, take the catch and, and pistol has a bit of a photo moment and, and we're into the World Cup final. Just misjudged the slot. It went very hard. There it goes. This time we'll see it. It's going, it's going. You, you just know that I haven't got all of it. I got it reasonably, but it was a, a little bit low. And um, yeah, so yeah, I mean, you're fully expecting somebody, you know, just to, just to take that catch. And while it's on the way, you're sort of thinking, oh, well, you know, that's, I guess that's it then. And incredibly... It hits his hands and goes over for six. Six! Oh, dear, oh, dear. I was a bit disappointed by that from Pistol because um, for the Australian Rules fans, you know, his grandfather uh, was a goal sneak for Richmond. His father played for the Tigers as well. So it, it was a classic AFL specky, wasn't it? 
So as a Victorian, I was disappointed he dropped it. And I thought, no, it's still the, you know, you think of the cricketing gods, the, it, it's on our side. We're going to do this. We're still going to do it, you know, because Lance is at the crease and it was, it, was, it was there. There's a lot of thoughts that go through just in those two seconds when the ball is, 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 is on its way. But, you know, once it had gone through, sort of really start believing that, you know, maybe, maybe, just maybe that, uh, you know, things are going to go our way. For it to go through his hands was sort of, oh, well, you know, maybe it is our year. I still had unbelievable faith in, in Lance that he was going to do it for us. Well, it's Damien Fleming who's got the privilege or the nightmare of bowling this last over. When Klusner gets a single off the last ball, and I know I'm bowling the last over, it's, um, OK, game on. You know, if, if, if McGrath could have dotted up Klusner and I had the first ball to Alan Donald, I'm backing myself to, to knock him over. With the last over, which, you know, something I did a lot for Australia, I generally felt like if the opposition need over eight runs, I, I could close out the over. So it was nine. It was nine. But um, it's not every day you bowl to Lance Klusner in the last over. But I, I knew, you know, um, you know if, I, if I'm there at the end, um, the oppositions are going to have to do something special. You know, I wanted to be there. It was something that, you know, I got out of bed in the morning for. I was mm. to be there at the at the death and to get the team over the line, and it was like a drug for me just to. I, I wanted to be there. The difference difference between bone last over in the '96 World Cup um, compared to '99. I mean, I started bowling to Richie Rich, but in the end, I end up bowling to Courtney Walsh. Courtney Walsh versus Lance Klusner is a total different scenario. <laughs> I knew if I was there, the chances of me getting it done were were very good because I was 100% prepared doesn't matter who was bowling. So that was that was the belief I had. Running in for the first ball, you know, it was nuts. The crowd are going off and the boys are, you know, up. Uh, so it was a great moment. And then I released the ball and I wasn't totally unhappy with the first ball. Kuzner. Crash, that could be four. That's it, Yorker, Yorker, that's four. You know, it wasn't a perfect Yorker, but it certainly wasn't a half volley. And Lance probably hit the ball as hard as any cricket ball's ever been hit for four. What a shot by Lance Kuzner. The crowd erupt. That was perfect timing. Aiming for the block hole ball, Fleming. And what about that? Lance Kuzner smashes it through the extra cover boundary. Just five runs needed or five deliveries. It just it rocketed off his bat. Oh, that went like a bullet through extra cover. And South Africa now need just five from five. Australia need a wicket. And I reckon off the bat, it was probably oh, between five and seven metres to my left. And I reckon I made one and a half metres before it hit the fence. That's a tremendous straight for four. What power. What a player. What a World Cup he's having sitting in my seat and I thought I'm not going to move and then Klusina hit that next ball and I just heard the obviously the eruption outside and there's a slight delay before you get it on the TV so suddenly four off the first ball and you could you know you just felt you, you could just right he's there he's on strike. Lance just absolutely smashes it and you know you could just sense there was a feeling straight away uh oh you know those nine runs aren't, aren't 
possibly going to be enough. Oh, what an innings this is. He's 27 off 13, but it's 5 off 5. Can't keep still, Mike. We decided the night before to bowl uh, wide-ish Yorkers, probably even a bit more wider than a fifth stump, you know, more seventh, eighth stump. Um, line from around the wicket. That was a team plan. That wasn't my plan. You know, I, I wanted to come over the wicket. Hit it hard. There's Mike Wall down and he won't get up that, that level. What kind of shot is that? That is unbelievable. Lance Kluzner, is he going to do it again for South Africa? He's done it on so many occasions. The first two deliveries of this over have gone bang, bang. They were, they were amazingly powerful shots. And of course, the uh, the smallness of English cricket grounds magnifies that. Uh, when I've seen them back, I've thought, my God, you know, that would have gone to another boundary as far back from the square. Um, so hard had he hit the ball. There was no chase once it was through and the, the placement had been executed to perfection. Well, you know, there was no point even bothering. Um, it was at the boundary before anyone could take two or three steps. He hits that second four and I just have this voice in my head. Like people ask, did you worry about uh, bowling a wide or a no ball or something like that? A voice in my head said, you just have to bowl him out now. You just have to bowl him out. It's clear. Gerald de Kock had been on and Peter Baxter tried to have the commentator from the winning nation at the microphone as the match ended and had been doing that, I think, through the World Cups over the years. And, um, and, and managing to organise it with great success. And he smashes the first two balls for four, and I literally looked around for Gerald. Uh, may have even said on the air, uh, um, you know, where's Gerald de Kock? Because he better come in to polish this one off. And uh, feeling a little crestfallen, I might add, um, Gerald had left the box. Uh, now it looks as though they've got it won. So I'm there. And it looks as though I'm, I'm the one who will be calling the South African victory. Unbelievable hitting by Klusner. And South Africa now poised at the brink of an unforgettable victory. Well, the Australians in the crowd are speechless. They've got nothing to say. So I said to Steve Waugh, mate, I'm coming over the wicket. And this is where we, Steve Waugh wins the World Cup for us. You know, the 100 and this decision. You know, he... He was a captain that always backed his players if they backed themselves. There was the fact that Fleming came over the wicket at that point. Um, yes, I remember Vic commenting on the fact that the field was up and, you know, there's absolutely no point in not being all up now. He said, yeah, you just got to do what you got to do. And I think if, if, I, if it was a captain that was a dictator-like captain, we're not winning that World Cup. You know, we, we won it because of the, the, the collaboration to come over the wicket. And in fact, I think in my commentary uh, with scores level uh, and Fleming about to bowl one of those two deliveries, the third and fourth of the over, I I'd had said that uh, a tie would put Australia in the final. So I was, I was clear on that. I'd, uh, I certainly had that one under control. So we make the decision, you know, uh, everyone, it's a ring field, run in. And I am visualising Yorker and I bowl a bit of a shocker. It's a half tracker, but it's probably the last ball that Lance thought about. And, and he miss hits for the first time probably in the tournament. A wicket in hand and a wicket would put Australia in the final. A tie would have Australia in. South Africa need to win it. They're all up now. 
There are a couple of slips. They're all in the circle. Credit to, to Gala, to, to, to Steve Waugh. I mean, that field was, if you look at it at the end there, that field was ex- extremely tight. Um, and, um, and that was something that, that I thought was, was, was a brilliant move. You know, it was, he was prepared to not, there was no chance of a one there if they'd gone to a, to a fielder. I remember thinking with about an hour to go, what happens if this game is a tie? I had checked that out and I can't remember, I think I've probably done it pre-match, um, but never thinking that it would come to that. And my scorer, Joe King, I was working for BBC Television, she sort of had a look at it, went through the regulations and said, if this game is a tie, Australia are in the final. Here it is. Fleming in and bowls and Klusner hoiks at it. Doesn't score a run. There might be a run out at the bowler's end. Lehman underarms, he misses. Donald might have been out. I think, well, surely, uh, you know, this is going to work out for us. Um, but, yeah, just just smash them. I think you, you've got a lot of adrenaline and, and when you see that ball halfway down, you just, you just kind of know that's actually, he's missed his slot and you can commit 100, 100% to it. While I was commentating on it, I didn't realise actually how close it was to the end of the game. Not off that ball. Nearly run out. I didn't realise how close the throw was. Darren Lehman with the throw. Donald was backing up too far, looking for the single. What a finish. Well, Alan Donald might smile now. And what was he doing? He got four balls to get one run. He's just backed up too far, and Lehman has missed from no more than six yards away. Donald's not in the pitch yet. That could have all been over. As it happens, you think, well, that would have been close. Uh, he might have been out. And then you see it from side on, and you realise, well, he would have been out by away. That feeling, you know, we're, we're in an impossible position here, particularly the way the clues not only batted that day, but throughout the tournament. It was destined for him to smack it out the ground for six or four. But it was nearly like, well, you know, here's, here's your little chance and it, it was missed. It was, it, I think the majority of us thought, well, that was it. That was our moment and we've, we've missed it. I just remember walking back thinking, boof, hope it's not our last chance to win the World Cup. And you're thinking that the cricketing gods are on your side with rifle Lehman missing from point blank range. You, there's never an in, a, a moment that I thought... We're not going to win this. I just remember there was a bit of a sense of, um, you know, pressure. Uh, the actual pressure might have changed. It was probably all on Lance before that first ball, and then after the near run out, um, they had they had a fair bit to lose because it was their game to, to lose. Hi, I'm Natalie Jimonis, and you listen to the final word with Jeff Lemon and Adam Collins. Amid the drama, it was as though, yeah, okay, that's done. Um, now we move on very quickly. He's about to come in and bowl again. Uh, but you, it, it did certainly feel as though well, you, you can't get a second chance. Three balls remaining, Kuzner on strike. And I remember just thinking, I, I've just got to get the ball up. And in the end, it was, you know, the perfect ball. Um, fourth ball, you know, it was just a wideish Yorker. First prize is just, just headed just headed out the stadium and, and let's, you know, let's get out of here. Um, you know, you, and, and that just builds on the, you, you need a little bit of help from, you know, the bowler as well, which he had given us early in the over. So um, that was obviously first pass, but I also said to Alan, you know, if there is one on offer, we need to take advantage of that as well, because um, 
you know, you can't just wait and wait. There it is. They go for this. will be out, surely. Ah, it's out. It's got to be run out. Oh, that's it. South Africa out. Donald didn't run. I cannot believe it. Australia go into the World Cup final. Ridiculous running with two balls to go. Donald didn't go. The real issue, um, I think, was the ball, but going back up the wicket, you know. Um, I had a, you know, I had a, a good view of it um, and your natural instinct for and uh, you know for the non-striker is to is to get back and make your ground for for any ball that goes back up the wicket um, so I mean that's what he did that's what any other batter would do I saw the ball going and I believed that I could make it to the other side however if it was a directed I, I myself would have been in um, would have been in trouble oh, hi! Australia is in the final Australia is in a fourth, an unprecedented fourth World Cup final after an unbelievable tie at Edgbaston. Donald has been run out after an incredible, impossible to describe mix-up. South Africa all out, 213, the match is tied and Australia go to Lords and the final. Alan turning his, turning his back, I'd kept going maybe a bit anxious to to get to the other side to get the job done and then you know once he turned with me halfway down the wicket you know he had to get to you know he still had a long a, a long way to go but uh, he had to he had to turn around you know looking away from me in a noisy situation not easy to hear about. so lost that nerve but it really mattered i remember seeing i think des rundle who was a board member at that time and uh, one or two other Cricket Australia figures sitting in the front row. So we were at the back in the commentary box and then I can't remember how many rows of seats there were, but not that many. And they were sort of on the the balcony edge. And I recall them turning around, looking beseechingly at me for confirmation that this put Australia into the final. Because I remember having one of those moments of... My God, I hope I've got this right. What a disappointing end for South Africa. What a match for our viewers right around the world. Cruisner not out, 31. Donald's run out, Australia into the final. And it was just, it was just absolute disbelief to watch what happened. 14 or 15 hours of absolutely riveting drama have led to this, a tied match. And Australia going into the final as a result. I, I realised something had happened because of the delay on the TV because you, you sort of get the rhythm. You'd seen the ball, you saw them go for four, you saw the next ball, you saw it go for four, you saw Lehman miss. So you sort of got the rhythm of the bowler in his... So he's obviously now delivered the ball, so I'm waiting for it to see an absolute silence. Absolute silence, apart from complete commotion next door from... And I'm thinking to myself, my God, what's happening? But this is split-second stuff you're talking about because the delay is like two or three seconds or whatever it is between live and, and, and real time. And I'm thinking, my God, what has happened? And I'm waiting for it to unfold on the screen in front of me. And then it, it was just, yeah, it, yeah, to hear the, the, the chorus next door of a celebration in terms of winning and the bashing and the, it was, but nothing from our side just absolutely nothing it was you could have heard a pin drop could have heard a pin drop Klusner really was the one who was now at fault because he kept coming and finally Donald just had to go 
Um, but he had no hope because Flem had done his 10-pin bowling practice during the week. With the actual underarm, well, nothing prepares you for that. You don't train that, do you? Um, you know, you just... I think just quickly working out the percentage, you know, in a split second of overarms just... There's too much danger with an overarm. I could throw it over Gilly's head. I could, um, you know, throw it to the right or the left. Um, as Steve War said, you know, we, d- we did do 10 pin bowling two nights before. The underarm down the pitch, mm. of course, is uh, etched into Australian cricketing folklore. Mm. <laughs> I think people still ask, why the hell did he do that? What I'll leave it with, I, I just heard the late, great Richie Benno just say, you know, afterwards, you know, one of the most astute cricket decisions I've ever seen on the cricket field. And I'm happy to leave it with Rich. I think it's extremely unfair for, for us to dissect what, what Alan did there. I think, you know, if there's any questions or any doubts or blames, put it on my shoulders or, or put it on the batting unit's shoulders. But I think we should, we, should be very, we should be very careful to be asking those questions of Alan Donald. This has probably been a little bit underestimated. Looking back at it recently, as I did, he was in a, a difficult situation in that Mark Waugh had seized upon that ball and wasn't far from the stars. He wasn't far back. And, he, you know, he backhanded it as, uh, as only he could do, except he, he just missed. So I suppose Donald was in that situation where he didn't want to find himself backing up um, wholeheartedly you know, w- w- and sort of going to the point of no return just in case something like that happened. We needed our batters to stand up and, and, and be counted in, in, in not only that game, other games. And, and we never did that in the whole World Cup. And, you know, mm. if, if, if that's not happening and people are having to, you know, rescue the team, you can get away with it with a game or two. But eventually it does catch up and it eventually caught up to us um, in, in that semi-final. I think it was, um, you know, again, you know, not Alan's job to be scoring one run off the last ball, um, you know, and and extremely unfair for us to, you know, mm. knock on his door and, um, you know, say, oh well, whatever happened happened was because you know you dropped your bat or you did this, and so yeah, of course, of course he's going to be nervous, you know, he has to go and mop up um, the mess left by by the other batters, and and that for me was, you know, the frustrating thing is that you know. It's it's easy to to look at me and to look at Al, but the the re, the real problems started long before before that game. And as a bowling unit, as a batting unit, we we just never did what we needed to do. The real answer to to that question is, you know, you know, where were where were the top seven batters? You know, where were they? You know, having a shower and watching it on on telly. I mean, we've had two outrageous wins, but once again, they'll count for nothing if we don't get over the line. There was silence. There was disbelief, which slowly, after time and time being 30, 60 minutes, turned into you know, you know, something that was a little bit more jovial, but still, it was nothing like. Um, what probably people would expect because I think people were still in shock. Even being there as an observer, but one with a professional role and wanting to make the most of it um, and, and, you know, to get the job done faithfully and effectively, um, it was it was, it was was a head spinner. There was eight of us in that team that had been in a similar situation three years before um, in Mahali and... In hindsight, we probably didn't deal with it 
in the right manner. Yeah, we felt like we got out of jail. We sang the song, which you normally don't do, uh, uh, you know, in the middle of a tournament. Um, we had a very big night um, on the source. Yeah, there's a few of us that that met in the hotel bar for, you know, a celebratory, you know, drink, a token, you know, drink. Um, but, um, you know, the job wasn't done. So it was... It was a recognition of, you know, a pretty special day. It sits way above any other moment. It was unbelievable. The the head-spinning nature of it. Um, the, I remember going down to the rooms with a tape recorder um, and I interviewed Flem and I interviewed Steve Waugh. Steve Waugh was looking for something to calm his nerves after this. Yeah, I mean, the first 10 minutes in the dressing room, you sort of sit there and... Uh, the adrenaline's pumping that much. It's um, it's a strange feeling. I mean, you're excited, but you're tired, and you know, your heart's jumping out of your chest still, and you, know, you need a drink to settle down almost. Paul Rifle's obviously a more introverted character. He was an excellent cricketer, um, and now a fine umpire. I reckon for 40 minutes he had his hands, uh, and a tough competitor, had his hands just in his, his um, head, and he, he wasn't involved in the celebration straight away. And I remember going over, mate, and just going, mate, how you going? And, and for him, you know, such a tough guy, just said, I'm just so glad we went through. Um, I wouldn't have been able to go home. And I'm going, you wouldn't have been able to go home. What about me? And the Australians are through. The South Africans cannot believe it. Absolute silence. Um, I'm not, I, I couldn't tell you how long it was for. Uh, I, I've sort of, people have asked me this before and it, I think it was in the region of, it must have been in the region of about 30 to 40 minutes where there was just absolutely death silence. Nobody said a word. And I think, as I said, Herschel and them were in the back change room, I think in the physio room, and Lance was in there, um, and I was sitting between Jonty Rhodes and Daryl Cullinan, um, and there were people sort of scattered around, and it was just, yeah... Everybody was. It was just like hand in head in hand moment of trying to comprehend what had just happened, um, and nobody nobody said a word. There were tears everywhere, um, um, you know. But and you, you know, Herschel uh, in particular. That was the strength and I, the admiration I had for for Bob um, as a coach you know he's a, he was an unbelievable man he was an unbelievable coach he was ahead of his time in terms of coaching because even if you remember um, he got called he got called in the very first game in India because him and Hansi trialling uh, in ear technology communication you know because he was that innovative he was that innovative um, but I do remember them and him and Hansi saying right everybody up into the middle of the room and we he, we got into like a, a circle in the middle of the room and I, honestly I, I I can't remember really what they said um, but it was you know about about the game about um, uh, understanding the I suppose the enormity of it the, but how proud we should be of how we've represented our country um, that it's going to hurt and uh, Jesus it was hurting at the time absolutely it was um, but that we weren't going to address it there and then. For us, it was a success story that led to another couple of World Cups. Um, but for South Africa, it's, it's sort of a moment in, in, in big white ball tournaments that, you know, really they haven't got over to this day. So in some ways, it was probably more 
a, a significant um, outcome for South Africa. And, um, you know, they were such a good team with so many great players. We saw what lifting the Rugby World Cup in 95 did to that country in terms of um, when Mandela walked out with the Springbok rugby jersey on, um, what sport does to unify a nation. And I've never, ever forgotten that. And I think those are poignant moments in sport which you can just never, ever replicate. Um, and those those moments in glory, what they can do for you as a country, you just, you know, you've got to deal with it. It's it's a It was an incredible game of cricket. And understand, you know, you think that it was 20 years ago and we're still talking about it as a, as a game that people remember and vividly remember, um, I think says a huge amount for, for, for the game and the quality of the game. We became even more galvanised as a group and as, as a unit, knowing that, uh, that uh, you know, we, it was meant to be and, and, and we weren't going to slip up, you know, with the final dance. It was, uh, you know, everyone was pretty much, you know, switched on, focused, confident and, uh, you know, obviously Pakistan uh, didn't have the day they would have liked, but... You know, you could also argue that we never let, allowed them through the front gates. A quite marvellous ending for Steve Waugh and his Australian team. The field almost all up in the circle as Sucklane bowls around the wicket. Lehman gives himself room, hammers it through the covers and Australia wins the World Cup of 1999. It's second World Cup victory. A triumph for Steve Waugh. Shane Warne and a team which at times early in the campaign looked as though it had lost its way but it has all come together marvellously well and Australia wins and becomes only the second nation to win a second World Cup. For us Aussies you know it was the, the regeneration of an era you know we went on to to dominate test cricket and one day cricket for the next seven or eight years. The man some had written off as captain had written his team into Australian sporting folklore. This was the greatest victory of any Australian cricket side I've been a part of. This is the greatest season that was with Adam Collins, Dan Bredig and Shannon Gill. Thank you to Adam, Tim, Steve, Simon, Lance and of course the irrepressible Flem for being such charismatic guests taking us back to one of the most memorable days of their cricketing lives. And a special thank you also to Dave Collins for piecing all of that together in editing. It was a mighty task, beautifully done. This has been the greatest season that was presenting 99. Pollock might do some damage there as well. You're hoping, aren't you? It's a final word with Adam Collins. I really enjoyed going back over that uh, after a few years. I hope you did as well. Even though the World Cup is coming to an end this weekend in India, we'll keep rolling out the 99 episodes and interviews over the next couple of months. Of course, it's been a really busy time for Jeff and me during the tournament, and it wouldn't be viable for us to do what we do without our community. So if you're in a position to get behind what we do on Patreon, which gets you straight into our Discord channel as well, which is a much nicer place to talk about cricket than Twitter and all the rest of it, that's very easy, patreon.com forward slash the final word. From there, you can tweak your number or your pledge to give it a cricket slant and then we'll tell your tale on Storytime, our weekend history show. I know I mentioned this in the sign-off before, but thanks again to Dave DC Collins who edited both that 
complicated episode and pretty much everything else that ends up in the final word feed and also our enduring gratitude to Jay Mueller who made all of the greatest season that was seasons possible and kept encouraging us with this in particular. You can follow everything that Jay does at bad underscore producer on social media. Next up with 99, it'll be Alex Stewart on what is, I suppose, a familiar story again, how England lost their way in 99. And as for Jeff and me, we'll be back in the feed with our weekly show tomorrow, everything other than the World Cup. All right, thanks again for listening. Bye for now. I had to go about it.